You know, every now and again I feel really bad for the people who make television. I've actually talked a bit about this recently, in real life, not on the show, uh, with a few friends about the nature and the reality of television production, at least back in the 90s, you know, when I knew how it worked. And all the hoops you had to jump through. I, I can just picture this. I can picture this. Okay. All right, I'd like to do uh, a story idea. Uh, it's going to be kind of set in the Old West, but with characters, non-human members of the cast, who we could see, you know, how they react to it and how it affects them and get a little insight into their characters and have some good dynamics. And it's just kind of a fun episode. Then we cut over to, you know, this guy. Says, all right. Well, what's the stakes? The what? The stakes. Like, what's the threat? We've got to have something to draw on the audience, otherwise you're not going to care. Well, I'd like to think that the audience would care about the regular characters that they've come to, you know, know and grow to love over the course of six. No, 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 you don't understand. We need to have some kind of action here. There's got to be some kind of threat. If we don't have a threat, there's no point. Well, but sir, no, 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 go, go, make, go, do something with it. Um, well, I, I guess I could do like, like an alien planet thing. No, 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 that's gonna be too expensive. Uh, let's just have it be on a holodeck. But the holodeck malfunctioning is already a cliche. A what? A, a cliche. I don't know what a cliche is, but I just want you guys to make sure that there's some kind of make there be some kind of malfunction, so they're all gonna die. But anyone with a functioning brain knows that they're not going to die by the end of the episode. A functioning what now? Anyways, I'm done. <laughs> Fun fact, I actually thought about doing a little short series that never got off the ground. I was going to call it The Money People. And it was just going to be me acting out what it's like, hypothetically at least, in the meeting rooms of The Money People who actually make decisions about things like this. I, uh... Yeah. <clears throat> Don't mistake me. I actually do enjoy this episode. It's just... It, it's a holodeck malfunctions episode. It, it's like... It's like being told, All right, you have access to a full kitchen to make the full meal of your choice. However, you have to include... Um, sewage in it. Okay, that's a bit extreme. But, you know, like, like you have to include... I don't know coconut in it if you hate you know something you hate right and it's like but i don't like coconut <laughs> patrick stewart actually directed this episode which explains why he's in it so little i just want to say one quick thing first of all stewart actually made me laugh twice in this episode once in character and once out there's this bit where crusher tries to convince him to join her acting troupe and his response is i'm not much of an actor there's just something really amusing about hearing Patrick Stewart stay, say those lines. But the next thing that amused me is he's actually not that bad of a director. See, directing is, of course, about uh, camera work. It's about characters, pulling performances out of the characters. It's about blocking. You know, all this stuff that I pay attention to. But there's a little-known thing. I say little-known. It's actually probably the most common thing about directing, but it's the thing that gets the least attention. It's making it work in reality. Like, someone walks up to you and says, okay, we're doing an Old West thing in this old, you know, outdoors set thing. And they're like, okay. Making that work means maximizing what you can accomplish. 
So Stuart decided, okay, we're going to do a weird schedule thing. We're going to go and have most of the set designers and builders work on the set overnight. And we're going to go ahead, and, and he actually came out himself, and he mapped out some camera work and laid down the tape and all that fun stuff at nighttime. Why? Because that way they could do most of their actual shooting during the daytime and thus capture as much actual daylight as possible to maximize their output. Now, that did mean extra hours for several people, including Stuart himself, but it's still you could still see why that's a bit of a smart move, at least in a temporary sense. Now, if you did that all the time, you'd just have a bunch of overworked people, because that's basically crunch. But it's, it's an interesting insight into things. I just thought I'd appreciate that. There's also supposed to be a major subplot of this episode of Troy and Worf basically getting closer together. Now, if you're paying attention, this would have been the second time the Troy and Worf romance was going to be pushed. Now, it was eventually ejected. What's funny is the reason it was ejected was because they felt it would be too soap opera-y. I've seen soap operas. Now, granted, uh, I've seen more modern soap operas, which at this point are basically cartoons. I don't even mean that as an insult, by the way. Like, they they have recognized what they are, and they have embraced it. They, they are insanely nonsensical, and it's actually quite amusing to watch. But the point is, even when I think of, like, a more moderate soap opera, I still think of something far more drama-filled than anything we've got going on here, like, say, Alexander trying to hook up Troy and Worf his two sur his his parent and his surrogate parent that actually makes perfect sense to me regardless of whether or not Troy and Worf should ever end up together it makes perfect sense that Alexander would push that narrative because of course he would how old is he again 3 at this point anyways it, yeah klingon aging we we've talked about that star trek does not know how to deal with kids <clears throat> so I have very few notes on this episode, by the way, so forgive me for kind of struggling. It's hard to comment on something, to analyze something that's just fun. Uh, they mentioned that they're going to go ahead and hook Data up to the thing, because in theory he could run the critical systems. Now, I find that funny because that's not a theory when you've actually already done it. You remember Disaster, right? Like, that's how they fixed the main core pro problem of that episode, was with Data's brain. But anyways. Also, there's this really funny scene. So... Picard's trying to practice on his flute and failing and trying and failing. Worf comes in and says, I'd like to take the time to do stuff. And then he leaves and it cuts to Alexander. And Alexander says, so what did he say? Two things I love about that. First, that's actually good exposition right there. Because the characters are saying things that make perfect sense in character in a manner that we get the intonation. Basically, Alexander just asked Worf, to go at, to, to, to go play on the holodeck with him. Worf said, well, I need to ask the captain. And then found himself having to go ask the captain. The captain forced him to take time off, so now he's stuck going on the holodeck with his son. Also, can I just say a uh, tiniest violin in the world? Like, I know, I know, holodecks are normal for him, but seriously. Anyways. <clears throat> Second point. Did you see the size of the Game Boy that Alexander was using? Holy crap, that thing's bigger than my old laptop. Anyways. <clears throat> Star Trek. Yeah. <clears throat> now, then we get to the western part of the episode. The episode just kind of starts being about fun. And this is the point I made earlier with that whole thing with Mr. Executive Man there. Because I feel like, whoop, I feel like the threat of the week absolutely is unacceptable here. 
And I don't just mean it's a negative. I mean, this, like in my own terminology, this would probably be multiple negatives. Because not only is it kind of unnecessary, it also doesn't add anything to the proceedings other than the vagueness of a threat. And it also makes it just kind of... I don't know. It's like, it's 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 like I said. It's you're you're starting from a, from a negative just at the at the beginning of it. It detracts from the story. I just wanted to see the Star Trek characters having fun in this little environment, and this could have been a character piece where Worf starts to understand a different perspective and gets along better with some of his friends and starts to realize maybe how much he can let loose a little bit more around certain people that he actually trusts. And of course, to be perfectly blunt. I think Worf would absolutely adore an Old West program. And by the end of the episode, we see that he apparently did. Of course he did. Think about the cliché of the Old West. You know, the John Wayne thing. Think about it for a second. Marching into town. Afraid I'm out to take you in, Black Bert. Black Bert's like, I'm going to send the posse after you. And then there's a fight, and then he locks someone up, and then there's a gunfight, and just uh, tell me that isn't Worf. <laughs> tell me that doesn't appeal to him. Not only is he on the side of the law, which he'd be in favor of, and on the side of security, which he'd be in favor of, but the fact that he has, gets to basically enforce it almost like a Klingon in a way that is actually encouraged and, in fact, venerated. You can't tell me he wouldn't enjoy that, right? So I could see him really getting into the, the mix of things. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, hang on. You're just doing a straight Western at that point. Well, I like the idea of... I would either do it deliberately with Worf's consent or underhandedly without Worf's consent. In short, one of the big threats of the episode is that all the people replaced by Data also somehow have Data's speed and strength and accuracy and all that fun stuff. So... Okay, I'm with that. You remember that bit at the beginning where Alexander said raise difficulty? You already see where I'm going with this. And that's why I mentioned either do this with Worf. Like, imagine Worf goes through and he, he beats the bad guy. And instead of, you know, and then Alexander complains at the beginning and does the difficulty raise. Then imagine at, like, say, the 25-ish minute mark, something like that, Worf is like, this is ridiculous. This is too easy. Computer! And then he just cranks the diff up to 11. And then the rest of the episode is him just barely struggling to deal with this. And loving it. And absolutely adoring it. You could even keep in the thing where he decides to basically cheat the system by using the, the pieces in the program as a method by which to, you know, develop technology that he didn't have access to, just to beat it, just because he was forced to innovate. And... You know, character moments, probably between him and Troy. Romantic or not, I think the two have a decent dynamic, and they're both non-human, and they both would have a fascination with this kind of thing. Like, see, here's the thing. Worf, we know why Worf would like this. Troy just says she likes this, but we don't get why. Why is this something Troy's into? Why not just have her really dive into it, especially as the stranger? Just have her be this kind of suspicious... You know, maybe it's because of the fact that... As the counselor, she has to be this warm and conforming entity who, you know, she has to project a constant aura of friendliness and affability that people feel she is approachable. And she just likes the idea of role-playing, basically, as this unapproachable doom, as this thing that no one can look at and touch, as this distant figure of, of mystery and mystique. And, it, that, and then that appeals to her, 
And of course, maybe she likes the action side of things because she doesn't get all that much of that in her life in general. A variance from the norm. You know, this is just me spitballing right now off the top of my head. I don't even write this down. But the point is, it would give us more of an insight into the character and why she thinks the way she does. And thus, between the two, we would see more of Worf. We would see more of Troy. We, I don't know who else, actually. I'd, I'd have to think about that because I didn't put that much thought on it because I'm a terrible human being. But do something with it rather than just, and now they're threatened. Worf is going to die. Oh, my God. The safeties are off. Da, da, da. Who cares? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It actually angers me because who cares if the safeties are off? I'm going to use it a parallel here. I've heard before, I've heard some people say, well, if there's no threat, then what's the point, right? You know, if there's no threat, if there's no risk, then what's the point? Now, I've already given you the point. I've already answered that in this exact case. In, in this case, the specific point is the nature of the character stuff, you know, trying to d delve into the individuals rather than threatening them. But there's an episode of DS9, I can't remember the name of it, it's very far in, it's like season 7, it's, it's almost the end of season 7 actually, where they have to go do a bank, or a, a, a casino robbery on the holodeck. And the holodecks aren't malfunctioning, and there's no threat to the crew, and there's no risk to the crew. There's technically a risk to, um, oh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden, the, the holodeck character. So you could argue that the risk is real to him. And I'll give you that. But the point being, the regular cast and crew are utterly unthreatened in that episode. And it's still just a fun episode. Now, I do still... Th I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hold that episode up as a primo example of amazingness. I'm just pointing out, you can do that kind of a thing. And of course, you're probably... You know the other reason this upsets me. It's, it's because it's the threat of the week again. I just keep pointing this out and getting more frustrated by it because they have stated in an interview, I could quote word for word, that they wanted to get away from the threat of the week problem. And here we are with yet another threat of the week. <sighs> to be clear, I should clarify something because you could argue there's always a threat of the week, but that's, that's not true. A threat of the week is specifically a threat that is temporary, that is so, and it's also, uh, let's call it simplistic is the word I want to use here. Because the point is, it's something that threatens you for this episode to elevate the danger of this episode and nothing else. It doesn't do anything for the setting, it doesn't do anything for the characters. Something like Best of Both Worlds was not a threat of the week. Because the way the Borg were being utilized there was a sea change. Like, that was, I mean, I've talked, I talked extensively about how much that did actually impact Starfleet, Starfleet in character and Star Trek out of character. The Borg, as described there, were not simply a threat of the weak. They were a substantial and significant element, both for setting and for characters, for Picard, for Riker, and for the, for the galaxy and for Star Trek as a whole. Now, that's kind of an extreme example because that's one of the best episodes of Star Trek, but you get the idea, right? By contrast, the holodeck safeties are off and the crew need to get off the holodeck is a threat of the week. Because it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't do anything. It's not like the holodeck has slowly developed a degree of sentience or sapience and is now trying to defeat the crew as some kind of long-term plan to you know, have a change in AI rights or whatever. No, it's just, it's just a threat of the week. It doesn't mean anything. 
And that's why it pisses me off so much. It's so irrelevant. Now, I know. I know what you're thinking. Laura, you're being too harsh on it. To be clear, I'm being harsh on the episode, not the creators. And I know that sounds like a strange statement. But it's because I feel like the episode should be judged as is, regardless of the why. But we should acknowledge the why when it comes to judging the people who made it. And that's why I did that whole skit right at the beginning. With the money people. Because a lot of this threat of the weep crap goes straight on their shoulders. Moving on. You'll notice I haven't talked about the episode much. I don't have much to say about it. It's a fun episode. <laughs> it is actually quite fun. I like the idea of being able to raise the difficulty, or lower it, on a, on a holodeck program. Troy, okay, I'm about to say something that's going to make everyone hate me. Troy, Marina Sirtis, to be more accurate, looks really good in that outfit. That really was a good good look for her. Holy crap. Um, we The ode to Spot thing, that was great, by the way. In fact, credit to Frakes. So he goes to give his line, and he hesitates a second. And on first viewing, you're probably thinking he's just a bad actor. But on second viewing, you realize that what he's doing is he's stumbling because the lines are not what he's expecting them to be. And so there's this moment of, uh, okay, whatever, and then he just reads his lines. And so he starts reading the poem, you know, getting back into character, and Crusher's like, what are you doing? No, look, here. Huh? I also want to say Spiner does a surprisingly good job as Hollander. Not the rest so much. I mean, don't mistake me. Spiner's a good actor and he can stretch. But most of the rest were just him doing basically caricatures. But I think he he did a good job of pulling off menacing as the main villain of Hollander. So, you know, in my own version of this where there's no holodeck safeties problem, I'd probably still try to cast Spiner as Hollander just because I think he could pull it off. Well, maybe without the makeup, I don't know, something. The 27-minute mark is when the holodeck safeties being off really comes into play and work gets shot and all that. And I only point that out because that also further gets across my point. Well over halfway through the episode, almost at the final act of the, basically at the beginning of the final act of the episode, is when the holodeck safeties being off thing actually comes into play. You spent more than half of this episode without the threat of the week. Come on. Anyways. So then the holodeck malfunctions and stuff happens, blah, 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 the end. Like I, like I said, I have no th- thoughts on this section other than what I've already given. It is still fun. It is still a fun episode that I, I enjoy more than I probably should. But I do want to give one last comment here. I've pointed out two times within the last, like, ten or so episodes at this point where Worf's aim has been awful. Once in Rascals and once in Power Play. And yet here... While in a in, in a slow mo moment, he manages to shoot the gun out of Hollander's hand. Now, at first, you might think, "Wow, he's really been practicing." I was actually thinking about this. I don't think he has. In fact, I don't think he knows really how to aim that gun at all. <laughs> what I think is that this is a video game, and Worf just did a QTE. Now he didn't literally have to press, you know, triangle or whatever. But you get the idea, right? In short, and this actually amuses me. I, I don't even mean this as an insult. This is actually kind of cool. I like the idea that as long as the player manages to get the gun out and pull the trigger, the computer automatically registers that as a success, as having managed to win the duel. 
Now there's probably a setting to adjust that or settings to adjust that. And we know there's difficulty settings too, after all. But I just like that as like an option, you know, story mode. A lot of RPGs uh, or more modern games tend to have a casual or a story mode difficulty, right? And given that the Old West cliche, doesn't that kind of line up? It's just, just food for thought. I, I've said this before and said this again. The holodeck is probably one of the most fascinating elements about Star Trek to me. There's so much that could be done with it and isn't. And I, I find delving into its function fascinating. Anyways, I hope you've enjoyed my probably extremely brief thoughts. I have no idea how much time this has been. <sighs> I'll see you guys next time.